Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast, where we take a behind-the-scenes, intimate look at surgery from leaders in the field. Welcome to our last podcast for the Behind the Knife Medical Student and Intern Survival Guide. In this podcast series, we focus on topics relevant to medical students and surgical interns. My name is Patrick Georgeoff. And I'm Vahag Nikolian. And we are your hosts. Right. We enjoy doing this podcast series, and we're happy to have contributed to Behind the Knife. So today we'll be closing out our series with a review of a topic that's often tested and can at times be confusing, the thyroid gland. That's right. Uh, we hope to offer a simplified approach uh, to the management of thyroid disorders. And we're going to start with some basics, uh, Vahag. When a patient uh, presents with a thyroid nodule, what are some of the key components to the workup? So there are three big things you want to do. Get a TSH level, get an ultrasound of the neck, and perform an, a fine needle aspiration. Great. So let's break those down. First, uh, TSH. Tell me all about TSH. All right. All patients who present with a thyroid mass should get a TSH. Uh, if the TSH is low, this could suggest a hyperfunctioning nodule. To confirm this, you can perform a radioiodine imaging study, also known as scintigraphy. If the nodule is hyperfunctioning or hot, that suggests a benign lesion, and you can treat that patient for hyperthyroidism. Most common causes for this include a toxic nodule or Graves' disease. Now, if the TSH is low and radioiodine imaging shows a hypofunctioning nodule, then you would move forward with an FNA because this is more concerning for malignancy. Next is a TSH that's going to be normal. And then you'll move forward with an FNA if there are any concerning features whatsoever on ultrasound. And finally, for patients who have TSHs that are elevated, which suggests hypothyroidism, you want to evaluate and treat them. The most common causes are going to be Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Again, if there are any concerning features whatsoever on ultrasound, go ahead and get an FNA. All right. That's a good review uh, there, V. Let's, let's touch on ultrasound, too. Okay. So the most important thing you need to know about ultrasound are what constitute concerning features, specifically what features are suggestive of malignancy. These include a hypoechoic mass, meaning a nodule which appears dark on ultrasound, microcalcifications, irregular margins, and a mass that's taller than it is wide on transverse plane. Great. Uh, there are also uh, size criteria that are more suggestive of malignancy. For solid nodules with suspicious findings, a nodule that's greater than one centimeter should be FNA'd. And in solid nodules that don't have suspicious findings or features, then the nodule should be greater than 1.5 centimeters to be FNA. There are uh, different rules that apply to cystic nodules, though. Um, finally, uh, let's talk about FNA, fine needle aspiration. What is it, uh, and uh, how do you do it, V? All right, so that's a great question. FNA stands for fine needle aspiration. Typically, it's performed under ultrasound guidance. You use a small gauge needle, typically about 23 to 27 gauge, and you pass it through the nodule. The needle contents is then smeared directly on slides, fixed, and then stained. Great. FNA is something that you can learn to do in clinic. And as surgeons, uh, unfortunately, we often see patients uh, where the workup's already been done. And so if you do have uh, the opportunity, uh, you should take advantage of it and do an FNA in clinic uh, whenever you can. 
All right. So once the FNA is done, management will depend on the results. FNA results are categorized according to the Bethesda criteria. If you're on the endocrine surgery rotation, this is definitely something you should remember. There are six different categories. First, non-diagnostic. Second, benign. Number three, atypia of undetermined significance or AUS and uh, also follicular lesion of undetermined significance or FLUS. Number four, a lesion suspicious for malignancy. And five, a malignant lesion. Great. And uh, what are the most common types of uh, cancer you will encounter? So there's three. The first is going to be papillary. This is by far and away the most common. It makes up about 80% of all thyroid cancer. Second is follicular. This makes up about 10% of thyroid cancers. And last is medullary, which makes up about 5% of thyroid cancers. Okay. Uh, so what do you do uh, v, if the FNA is read as non-diagnostic? Non-diagnostic FNA means that you should perform a repeat FNA. If the FNA the second time is again found to be non-diagnostic, then a thyroid lobectomy should be performed for definitive diagnosis. Great. And what about a benign appearing uh, uh, FNA result? So a benign FNA with a uh, thyroid nodule merits clinical follow-up. If the thyroid mass is stable over a year, then you can repeat an ultrasound in another three to five years. If at any time the mass changes in size by greater than 50%, go ahead and repeat an FNA or perform a thyroid lobectomy. All right, and what about a follicular lesion of undetermined significance or atypia of undetermined significance? Those are terrible terms. (laughs) (laughs) AUS and FLUS can be confusing. Uh, Essentially, these lesions cannot be defined as carcinoma because the FNA cannot demonstrate vascular or capsular invasion. Molecular tests are now available, which can help to stratify patients into different risk categories. In general, a lobectomy for definitive diagnosis with plans for possible total thyroidectomy is a safe answer. Uh, That said, if there's a patient who comes in with a history of radiation therapy to the neck, a family history of thyroid cancer, or multinodular goiter, they may be better served with an upfront total thyroidectomy. Great. Uh, in regards to uh, suspicious uh, um, FNA findings or findings that are confirmed malignant, uh, in that case, you perform a lobectomy or a total thyroidectomy. Okay, so uh, we just reviewed uh, three key components to the workup of a thyroid nodule. This is this is important. This is probably the key uh, takeaway for all of our listeners. Um, these three components, again, workup of a thyroid nodule include TSH, an ultrasound of the neck, and FNA when indicated. All right. So with that, you want to do some cases? Let's go ahead and do it. All right. So, uh, Bahag, you are in a surgery clinic. You meet a 42-year-old woman. She has no significant medical or surgical history. And she presents with a palpable nodule on the front of her neck. The nodule is located just to the right of midline. It's two centimeters. It's firm, mobile, and non-tender. It moves up and down with swallowing. The uh, remainder of her physical exam is is unremarkable. Um, So in this case, what are the some of the things you want to include in your differential diagnosis for a neck mass. So in this case, it sounds like it's likely a thyroid mass. Uh, Benign masses like cysts, adenomas, hyperplastic nodules, and thyroiditis should be considered. Malignant lesions include papillary thyroid, follicular, medullary, and anaplastic cancers. Um, other things you want to think about include lymphoma, squamous cell cancer, and even metastases from other primaries. 
Uh, congenital lesions like thyroglossal duct cysts and brachial cleft cysts can also present as masses. All right, great job, Hog. Now, uh, fortunately for you today, uh, we're going to be focusing just on the thyroid gland. So um, what kind of workup do you want to do? All right, so first and foremost, a thorough history is important. Asking questions about thyroid malignancy risk factors such as a history of neck radiation and a family history of thyroid and other endocrine gland cancers is important. That's right. Uh, In addition, you want to ask questions about the patient's symptoms to see if there's any evidence of local compression or invasion. So nuanced hoarseness, cough, dysphagia, or the feeling of fullness in the neck raise the question of a malignancy. In this patient, you find out that the mass was incidentally found and that she's been referred to you by her PCP for farther workup. Uh, She also denies any family history or personal history to suggest that she's at higher risk Uh, for thyroid cancer. All right. Well, then I would move forward with some tests. A safe approach is to start with an ultrasound right there in clinic. This allows us to determine the size of the nodule, its location, and identify any other abnormalities in the neck. So what does the ultrasound show? Yeah, uh, you see a 2.5 centimeter hyper, excuse me, hypoechoic mass with microcalcifications and irregular margins. You look around and see no abnormal lymph nodes. So what do you think? All right, so overall, these findings are concerning for malignancy since it has some of those high-grade features that we talked about earlier. Yeah, uh, that's right. Uh, what additional workup uh, do you want to do at this time? All right, so like we talked about last time, I would go ahead and get a TSH. Okay. Uh, in this patient, the TSH level is normal. Uh, what do you want to order next? All right, so a normal TSH and a patient with uh, some concerning findings on ultrasound. Uh, let's go ahead and have a fine needle aspiration performed. Okay. You do the FNA, and this results in suspicious uh, for poorly differentiated papillary cancer. Uh, what operation are you going to do for this lady? So for this patient, a total thyroidectomy with or without prophylactic neck, central neck dissection is indicated. Yeah, that's right. Uh, total thyroidectomy. Uh, let's talk about the operation itself. When performing a thyroidectomy, uh, what are some of the nerves that you encounter, and in what uh, measures can you take to avoid injury to those nerves? That's a great question, Pat. Uh, a big one is the recurrent laryngeal nerve. This is a nerve that comes out bilaterally. The nerve comes off the vagus and needs to be preserved as it innervates the vocal cords. Uh, you can identify the nerve in the tracheoesophageal groove. If there is a unilateral injury, then the patient will develop hoarseness. And if there's a bilateral injury, it's a very extremely rare event. The patient will develop strider, respiratory distress, and aphonia uh, following extubation. This is considered an emergency and requires emergent intubation or tracheostomy to reestablish a airway. Yeah, that's right. Uh, In addition to the recurrent laryngeal nerves, there's the superior laryngeal nerves. Uh, These can be uh, encountered typically at the uh, superior poles of the thyroid gland. So when you're dissecting superiorly, uh, if the nerves uh, are injured, uh, these can impact the pitch of the patient's voice, making them sound more monotone if they're injured. We should also mention that there are uh, nerve monitoring devices that you can use intraoperatively. The most common device includes uh, sensors that are located actually on the endotracheal tube itself, um, and they can detect when the vocal cords are stimulated and actually squeeze the tube. Uh, Other than nerves, uh, V, what other structures are you looking to preserve during a a thyroidectomy? 
So the other important structures include the parathyroid glands. Uh, there are four glands that sit, as their name suggests, near the thyroid gland. Their relationship to the recurrent laryngeal nerve can help you identify them. The upper glands are going to usually be found posterior and lateral to the nerve, whereas the lower parathyroids are anterior and medial to the nerve. All right, so you perform your thyroidectomy, and the patient has no intraoperative complications. Um, now, uh, for many patients undergoing thyroidectomy, the hospitalization is brief. We uh, here at the University of Michigan keep them overnight, uh, monitor their neck to make sure we, they don't develop a hematoma. Uh, we supplement their calcium uh, in case the parathyroids are stunned following the operation, and we initiate thyroid replacement therapy. That's a nice summary. So thyroidectomy is a major part of the management of thyroid cancer, but there are other things that we can do to try and improve their outcomes. Do you know any of them, Pat? Yeah, uh, you're referring to radioactive iodine. Um, radioactive iodine concentrates in any remaining thyroid tissue, and that radioactivity can kill that residual tissue. Uh, and so we give radioactive iodine to patients with high-risk features. Uh, these includes extrathyroidal extension, um, primary tumors that are larger than 4 centimeters, and patients who have elevated thyroglobulin levels in the post-operative period. Um, these are all good candidates for radioiodine ablation. Uh, following total thyroidectomy, we also administer thyroid replacement therapy, um, and we do so at doses that minimize TSH stimulation. Uh, we do that to avoid any uh, stimulation of any extra thyroid tissue and, and growth of that remaining thyroid tissue should it be left behind. All right. So why don't we move on to the next case, Pat? That sounds good. So for this one, Vahag, you're in clinic, and you are referred a 23-year-old woman with an enlarging neck mass. Uh, now, she is concerned because it has uh, significantly increased in size since her PCP first saw it uh, three months ago. Uh, at the time, she was referred to you with a plan for an ultrasound and biopsy of the mass, but that, that hasn't occurred yet. On review, uh, you learn that she has no other medical problems. She is, though, adopted, and she's not aware of any family history. Uh, you proceed with an exam, and you find a non-tender mass in the central neck. It measures 3 centimeters. Uh, there are no other abnormalities noted on exam. All right, so we're dealing with a non-tender neck mass. In younger patients, I think about these in three categories, cancers, congenital lesions, and inflammatory processes. We've already reviewed some of the malignant causes of neck mass. It's also important to think about congenital lesions like the thyroglossal duct cysts and brachial cleft cysts. Inflammatory process, processes can also present as well, and these are usually related to a recent viral or bacterial illness. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and in this case, uh, the patient's uh, uh, history is pretty boring. Uh, she denies any other problems. All right, so she's at this time coming in with a neck mass. Uh, just like our last patient, let's go ahead and perform an ultrasound in clinic. What do we see? So an ultrasound, you see a three-centimeter nodule in the left lobe of the thyroid gland. You also see suspicious lymph nodes in the central neck and off to the left near the carotid artery. So what do you think about the fact that there's some suspicious enlarging lymph nodes? So lymphadenopathy associated with an enlarging thyroid mass is concerning. For this patient, I would move forward with an FNA, both of the mass, both of the mass as well as for the nodes, in particular the one around the carotid. Yeah. So the FNA is done and returns uh, as concerning for medullary thyroid cancer. Uh, so with that information, is there any other testing you'd like to do? So that's that's kind of an unfortunate diagnosis. Medullary thyroid cancer is a lot more aggressive than papillary thyroid cancer, so these patients are often going to have more testing to help stage them. 
because of the because the cells that are actually involved are parafollicular C cells, they produce calcitonin. The degree of calcitonin in their bloodstream will correlate to, with the overall disease burden and the likelihood of metastasis. In this patient with a positive lymph node near the carotid, the suspicion is already high. I would uh, go ahead and order other tests, including a CEA, a serum calcium, and have her tested for the RET gene mutation. Okay. So calcium, uh, excuse me, calcitonin level returns elevated at 400. CEA is also elevated at 250, and calcium is a normal range. Now, uh, you mentioned uh, RET testing. Why is that? So RET testing is done to determine if there's a chance the patient has multiple endocrine neoplasia, or MEN syndrome. Uh, the gene mutation can result in other associated cancers. For patients with MEN2A, uh, they can present with parathyroid hyperplasia, medullary thyroid cancer, and pheochromocytoma. In patients with MEN2B, uh, they can present with morphinoid body habitus, mucosal neuromas, along with the medullary thyroid cancer and pheochromocytoma. Great. So, uh, you know, as suggested by an elevated calcitonin level and an elevated CEA level in the setting of this mass, like that, uh, as affinated shows medullary thyroid cancer, the RET gene testing also comes back positive for a germline mutation. Um, so, confirmed diagnosis here uh, with men syndrome. What uh, What are you going to do? Are you going to take out her thyroid gland? We we will take out her thyroid gland, but not quite yet. First, we want to make sure that we can rule out any other. Uh, cancers or any other uh, lesions. In, in patients with RET mutations and medullary thyroid cancer, you want to rule out these other tumors before doing any operations. So let's go ahead and send some tests for parathyroid hormone levels, plasma and norometanephrines, as well as plasma and urine metanephrines, which will help us rule out parathyroid hyperplasia and pheo. In particular, you want to make sure to, that the patient doesn't have a pheochromocytoma before operating on them. Exactly, and you want to do that to avoid a, a hyper, hypertensive crisis intraoperatively. All right, so fortunately for this patient, uh, you find that she has completely normal labs and no evidence of these other uh, uh, masses. Okay, so now let's move forward with staging her medullary thyroid cancer. I would order a CT of the neck for operative planning and then a CT of the chest, abdomen, pelvis to rule out metastatic disease. Okay. The CT of the neck shows findings similar to what you saw in ultrasound. Uh, the CT of the chest, uh, abdomen, and pelvis is normal, no metastatic disease. Uh, so what uh, are your surgical options for patients with medullary thyroid cancer? All right, so again, it depends on the extent of disease. In patients with disease confined to the thyroid with no evidence of lymph node disease, a total thyroidectomy with central neck dissection is adequate. In this patient, however, I would perform a total thyroidectomy with central neck and modified radical neck dissection because of the nodes around the carotid. Okay. Uh, so what is a modified radical neck dissection and what differentiate differentiates it from a radical neck dissection. I was asked this not too long ago. So this is a pretty common question in the operating room. The central neck is made up of level 6 lymph nodes. The lateral compartments are made up of level 2, 3, and 4 along the jugular, as well as level 5 posterior to it. So a radical neck dissection will take the lymph tissue in these levels lateral along with three other structures. These three structures are the sternocleidomastoid muscle, the internal jugular vein, and the spinal accessory nerve. In a modified radical neck dissection, which is much more common, you'll spare at least one, if not all, of these structures. Yeah, yeah, modified radical neck dissection is really the go-to uh, these days because you don't have an improvement in outcomes. 
um, when you perform this uh, uh, a radical neck dissection. So, all right, be nicely done. Uh, let's say, however, though, when you're performing your dissection, uh, that um, you notice some milky fluid starts draining out of the patient's neck. What do you think is going on? So this is almost certainly an injury to the thoracic duct. The thoracic duct drains chyle into the left subclavian vein right at its junction with the internal jugular vein. Not exactly. If you uh, encounter a thoracic duct injury during a case, you should work to identify where it's coming from and ligate the duct with non-absorbable suture or clips. Uh, if a thoracic duct injury is suspected postoperatively, you can send that uh, fluid for triglycerides to make the confirmation. Um, and if it is, in fact, uh, a chyle leak, uh, typically we place these patients on a fat-free diet and uh, monitor uh, the output. If the leak doesn't resolve on its own, uh, then an intervention is needed. And this could be surgical exploration or, uh, in some cases, a minimally invasive approach with our, uh, our interventional radiology colleagues. Great. So for this case of medullary thyroid cancer, it's important to make sure to have a long-term follow-up plan set up for the patient as well. Surveillance will include annual calcitonin and CEA levels. If the levels are to increase, then a neck ultrasound can be done to determine if there's local recurrence. And if that's negative, then CT scans or PET scans can help to identify distant metastases. RIV. That was a good review and our last of an important topic. Uh, why don't we finish off with rapid fire uh, with a rapid fire review? All right, let's do it. All right, what are the three most important tests uh, when working up a palpable thyroid nodule? A TSH, an ultrasound, and an FNA. Right. So for patients with papillary thyroid cancer who have undergone a total thyroidectomy, what other treatments can be done to reduce recurrence rates? Adjuvant radioiodine ablation and TSH suppression with Synthroid. Okay. Uh, what is the cell origin of medullary thyroid cancer and what biomarker uh, uh, is associated with recurrence? So the parafollicular C cells, which produce calcitonin. Okay. In patients diagnosed with medullary thyroid cancer, what other workup is needed before proceeding with a thyroidectomy? You have to evaluate the patient for a RET mutation and then work them up for pheochromocytoma if that's positive. All right, last question. What happens if you injure the recurrent laryngeal nerve? So recurrent laryngeal nerve injuries result in vocal cord paralysis. If it's unilateral, that's going to cause hoarseness of the voice. And if it's bilateral, it's an emergency and you can develop airway obstruction. All right, Bahog, nice work. That wraps up our final review of the Behind the Knife Medical Student and Intern Survival Guide. Thank you very much for the opportunity to be a part of one of our favorite podcasts. Couldn't agree more. Uh, and as always, dominate the day. Until next time, dominate the day. 